0: All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAWFRAN or go to lawfran.com. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the garage Bill podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hallman. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a fantastic episode with you today. The host of, or the co-host of the Performance Times Podcast at SNS Cycles up in Wisconsin is joining us today. Hey, I want to make sure that you guys all know that the Garage Built Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. The Ireland Nest Motorcycle Company, and you can save 10% and receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the sales code garagebuilt10 on all orders at arlenes.com we are also brought to you by bell helmets usa make sure you're following at bell helmets underscore power to see the latest in helmet design and safety and see your local bell helmets dealer to order your new bell helmet today electric lighting features top shelf leds backed by 30 years of industry-leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the marketplace use the sales code Speed 2022 for free shipping in the lower 48 on all orders over 50 bucks at Nams Custom Pro- Cycle Products.com. As always, we are brought to you by 1620 Workwear, premium made in the USA Workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620USA and use the sales code SPEED2022 and you're gonna save 20% at checkout. Also make sure you're following them at 1620USA on Instagram. The high seas rally, 3,500 bikers converge on one ship this October for the only motorcycle rally on a ship. One week, four ports, what could go wrong? Follow the High seas Rally on Instagram and use code SPEEDMETAL. You're gonna save a hundred bucks on your cabin price and the drink card is included this year. We're also brought to you by Team Dream Rides in Maryville, Tennessee. Visit teamdreamrides.com or follow Dream Rides Tennessee on Instagram. If you're in Tennessee or if you're looking for a new used custom Harley, go follow those guys. It's time to bring our guest in, get fired up, get out of the garage on the Garageville Podcast.
1: To the Garage
0: Build Podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Still, my favorite part of the intro is is the end of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's quite the intro, man. That is, Thank you. You got that way more dialed than we do.
0: We're trying. We're trying. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Dave Zemla, and he is with s Cycles in Wisconsin. You are also the co-host of the Performance Times podcast, and that is on – I mean, that you can find that pretty much everywhere you can find the Garage Built podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Spotify. Yeah, yeah. We're not High as cool Heartland.
1: as you, but we're trying.
0: Oh, I don't know. You guys are pretty cool. <laughs> you get to, you get to work at s I mean, there's not many cooler <laughs> places. Than that, it does not suck. No, that's a good way. That's a good way to put it, right? Everything, every once in a while, this turns into a job too, and every once in a while, my daily at Cycle Stop USA turns into a job. But when I get to talk to uh, friends like you and and talk about the industry, I don't know for some reason that seems to be the driving force behind this podcast and, and many others.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, totally. um it yeah, was actually kind of my favorite part of Daytona. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's been a while.
0: Yeah, the so FaceTime is always good i mean that's what i love about the rallies and and i'm a i'm a big i've always been a big supporter of the daytona rally and i love going to Sturgis too and i feel like i feel like they're real natural bookends for um a good time to start up and a good time to wind down right
1: yeah 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 we look i mean you know obviously we're snowbound so we're in you know wisconsin so we look forward to daytona in a lot of ways
0: yeah, when I was from the Midwest, when I lived in Detroit, that was definitely, I mean, that was the pilgrimage every year, right? It was uh, get your bike ready, get everything apart in November, December, January, February, start tightening things up, and in March, you needed to be down in Daytona, right? And then by the time Sturgis wound up, everybody was sunburned, everybody was hung over, everybody was ready to yeah. kind of roll up the sidewalks.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both good rallies. I mean, they're they are they're critical for, for us as a business.
0: Yes. Um, speaking of which, you are not you are a transplant, right? You're not from the Midwest. Aren't you from Southern California?
1: I am. Yep. Um, I was not actually born in SoCal. I'm actually originally from the East Coast. So, but grew up in SoCal, and most of my career was in SoCal. And about almost dead on seven years ago, moved to the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, to work at SNS.
0: How hard of a sell is that? When you come home, you say, honey, I've got great news. I've got a great opportunity for, for our family. I've got a great opportunity for my career. I know you're busy too. Uh, how do you – I mean, I've, I've traversed the it was country.
1: A, it was. It, I'm still married, um, but it was touch and go that first year.
0: Yes, so, it's very hard, isn't it? it
1: yeah, and the, I had a uh, daughter that um, w- did her last year of high school – in the Midwest. So she went from a high school that had more people in it than the entire town we live in to a high school that she graduated with 70 people.
0: Oh my goodness. So it was like,
1: you know, that was quite a culture change. And then, uh, the, my son, my youngest, um, did his entire high school career here. How so hard. It's all, it's worked out really, really well, but that first year, um, I, I would, I, um, almost positive there was moments where my wife was looking for lawyers.
0: Oh yeah, well Almost. you know I, I always Almost. tell people that because we did it twelve years ago we moved from we moved from Michigan to Florida and we came here uh twenty eight years ago on our honeymoon stayed in the same little town loved it went home and said why did we buy a house in Michigan and then life happens yeah. and family happens and yeah. things happen and we were here in oh nine and Karen's like I want to move here and I was like okay once we start moving once we pack the first box they're all getting packed they're all getting moved and then about you know, everything, once the va- once vacation wears off, when you move to Florida, everything feels like vacation. I know it was kind of probably opposite for you guys, but once you oh, move, yeah. it feels like vacation yeah. for a minute because you're like, oh my gosh, we're only an hour from the beach. Oh my gosh, we're only an hour from Disney World. And then, life happens and then about six months yeah. in the first meltdown happens we were like i don't care and i'm like go back home then you know 75 goes north yeah, the, just uh, like it goes south
1: the kids did really really well that was actually i mean that was the scariest part right it's sure know, we're putting kids into a whole different environment and the they did really really well my youngest fell in love with things that we didn't have in california anymore like auto shops and stuff like that and By the time he graduated high school, he was running a business out of their auto shop, detailing teachers' cars and changing their oil.
0: That's brilliant.
1: So it was, it was really cool. And you know, the whole shop was behind it, so it was it was very very cool. And the daughter, you know, she did her last year of, of high school here, and she's her premise was she's like, I don't care, I'm going away to college anyway, so what do I care? Right. And both of them have made lifelong friends. Both of them would like. I doubt they're leaving the Midwest. Right. So it took my wife about a year, and then she has she has an incredible friend group, and Midwest mommies they play rough. <laughs> like there's way more alcohol than California mommies. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, she uh, she's got a tight group here, and it all it all worked out really well. But like I said, that that first year was touch and go, and then uh, I I I would. If I had tried, if I try that again, hey, we're moving to New Zealand. I'm definitely divorced because there's no chance they're leaving.
0: Right. I think so, right, we're, I think it, I'm in the same boat out. as you. It
1: was, the, it was dangerous, but it worked out.
0: Do you think uh, to that point? Um, you made a couple of really good points in there. I mean, you know, culturally, things are different in the Midwest than they are in. California and California is charged with uh, much of the innovation that drives the, the motorcycle industry. At least it has been in the last, over the last couple of decades. I think a few things are kind of, kind of changing there's, there's always these outliers and things that happen, you know, there's, you've you've got Paul Weidman at bare knuckle performance. You've got, you know, Bobby Seeger at Indian Larry motorcycles. Now you have um, Billy Lane changing things a little bit in Franklin, uh, Tennessee, you know, he's kind of hedging his bet towards the, um, the older style but race you know very performance oriented but still kind of a modern version of an older race bike but when you look at the 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 economy in the midwest and you look at kind of the way things are done do you think the midwest gets enough credit for being innovative
1: probably not you know probably not you know the, the challenge with midwest and even east coast is your you have half the riding season california does so or you know Texas or Florida but it's uh, I think because of that you know it's it's just not in, it's not as engaged in motorcycling they're equally passionate but you know there's a lot of downtime
0: yeah well I'm I kind of I kind of want to play to the to the point that um, you know some people think that uh, just because it comes from one place or another it's better and I think that doesn't get to happen until you have some proof in your work. And so SNS is a good place to start with that. Um, arguably I, I looked and couldn't find anything uh, that even got within a decade of a company that's still around that could single-handedly say they impacted the V twin marketplace like SNS has. They've never deviated from the core, uh, Mission that, that George Smith had, right? So it's always been improving yeah. what's already there yeah. and being innovative in those spaces. So when you work for a company that has the history that SNS does, that the only thing that comes close to it is the Nest family, who is twelve years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. N- Nest has done a great job. Sure. The uh, th- this company is one hundred percent focused on on making stuff faster, though, and I- internally, you know, like within our walls the uh, the culture the the agenda everything is about that you know we we regularly decline new product ideas because it didn't add performance
0: well that that's good yeah. to hear because when you see something like you guys have um, a couple of really fantastic newer products that I really really like a lot um, and some of them are they look like reiterations of proven products in the past and i'll give you a good example you have the mini teardrop air cleaner right which sizably mm-hmm. fits on it fits onto a hot rod sportster better than anything does in that that does that job and then you guys take and, it and a, that's
1: what inspired it was the sportsters and here's a fun story the best-selling version of it is for baggers
0: I would i would believe that i would believe that completely um because it's it's not there's not an impedance in in how much air it flows and the other one that you did that is fantastic is the teardrop with the exposed element that if yeah, i if yeah, i could
1: is, it's actually the mini teardrop casting with a big hole
0: in the center of it i know and, and i th- i think you um I think things get lost sometimes i think sometimes people see things and they're like oh that's just kind of a visual uh visual version of that but that has to really work because yeah, it's got sns's name on it but it's if i had to, you know if what? i could pick uh, my favorite product the that would be that
1: inspired it hired that Oh, mm-hmm. uh, oh i'm sorry the the thing that inspired that one the uh we we did a one inch um wider it's, that that system is called stealth in our mm-hmm. world right so which represents the air filter and the backing plate and then the covers are kind of a separate entity because they're somewhat aesthetic right so the uh, we do a one inch wider for a higher flow so you would do that on like on a a big motor build you know or racing or something like that but it hits your leg like it hits your knee depending on how tall you are right so we said okay we we, let's let's see if we can flow that same amount without it interfering with the rider and that kind of inspired the uh, the air stinger
0: i just think it's if i could if i could pick like my favorite new product that would definitely be top five in the last couple of years because Cool. it fits it works it looks awesome and uh, you know all of those things when you when you can tick those boxes off you have other companies that are um, very in and, and everybody does a you know most people do a good job in the space that they occupy and it's good to see a company occupy the space that, that they want to occupy better than anybody does and, and and I and I mean that wholeheartedly with SNS because I believe that you you speak on the culture there um, how long does it take to acclimate? And the reason why I ask you that is you've been with other aftermarket companies, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And you're from another mm-hmm. part of the country, so I find that things move really fast in those environments because there's no there's no fat to trim off in a system that you that you explain where we're not looking for something that's aesthetically only. We're looking for performance, and then we make it look good.
1: Yeah, that's really how it works here too. Yeah, um, the the transition from you know not here to here was. It was challenging, you know, because internal culture is very Midwestern, you know. This, the, it, it, there, there's nothing like it. You can't, until you've kind of experienced, hey, I'm rural Midwest Mm -hmm. and there's a very distinct culture. And and the, the, you know, the last thing that the rural Midwest wants is California spread on their world. (laughs) Right. So, like, so there was a lot of, um, I got questioned a lot. There's a lot of that kind of stuff like, you know, trying to figure out my politics or my stance on on guns or any of that kind of stuff. You right. know? And, and luckily it, you know, it slotted in very nicely, but until they knew they didn't know, right. right. So that was a, that was, that was a kind of an interesting transition. The, what it, what it really did raise the game of the company though, is social media, things like that were not really important. You know, this is a, a largely humble, um, culture, right? You know, farmers, farmers don't brag. Farmers don't take pictures of their food and share it, you know, so they, <laughs> the, that culture permeates the entire region, you know? So their the social media, when I got here was dismal because of that, because it felt in their eyes, it felt like it was bragging.
0: I would agree so, with that. So that,
1: that, that was a fun kind of uh, growth for the company.
0: Yeah. Being from the Midwest as I am, um and being from detroit in particular where uh we detroit is to the automobile what wisconsin is to the american v-twin i would say i think that's fair to say absolutely. absolutely um so it's not culturally unacceptable and it hasn't been for probably 60 70 years plus i'm i can't speak from experience but um it's it's not culturally unacceptable and probably never was for a doctor a lawyer Uh, a pharmacist, a business owner, a farmer, uh, whatever in, in Wisconsin to ride a Harley where it was kind of frowned upon other places in the country, especially in the deep South. Um, just like in Detroit where, you know, it was very common. They used to say, you know, there's a little town called garden city and they used to say there's a hot rod in every other garage. Right. So there's, so when you're talking culture, you're talking about a group of people that are mostly modest and let their work speak for them. And in a lot of places, I think that, uh, and, and people would probably take issue with this, but if I explain myself completely, people from the Midwest, especially people in Detroit were hardwired for mediocrity, meaning that it was falling into line, doing the best job you could for what you, for the part that you did and not talking about it, not making it, well, I built that, or I did this, or I did that. There's not a lot of me, me's and I, I's, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's true—not it, in a bad way. No, it was just the—it it was the culture here. So, which it, sh- it luckily, it, you know, that's just opportunity. So, sure, you know, we uh, we started working on tools, and it was as I got here in '15, and it was really kind of the tail end of traditional print media as far right. as you know communicating with your your customer. Right. So there there wasn't really an option to not to do it. So it so uh, we upped the game. We brought in some people. We brought in some really talented people to kind of help support it and, you know, gave us some tools that we didn't have otherwise. And, you know, I, I have a full-time videographer here now and photographer here now and a person 100% devoted to social media. And, you know, when you reach out to us, you get a response as, as soon as physically possible. Right. And I, I think those are important.
0: Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, there's um... – you just brought up a, a very good point. Like uh, in 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 print media, you would create content. You would not doctor the content, but but you know you would uh, homogenize the content or pasteurize the content to where it fit a message because you you had to put it out there and you didn't get the feedback right. So you had to really really take out all of the little you know make sure all the I's are dotted, all the lower j's had a dot over them, those types of things. Can you can you speak on the uh, kind of the cradle to the grave on a part development, or on how the departments are structured inside SNS, without giving away anything that's proprietary. But say, okay, so someone has an idea. We're in this think tank. We're do this, whatever. I mean, kind of, kind of build that, you know, visually for for listeners.
1: Oh, that, that's a that's a pretty complex one. I mean, it, traditionally the the marketing team, which hosts um, uh, product line managers. Mm-hmm. So I have guys that are you know our product line is fifteen thousand SKUs. So it, it, it's broken up by categories, and there's a actual human that manages that category, and he is the expert in that. So I've got a guy; that his expertise is exhaust. Gotcha. You know, he knows where every new product is, every emissions compliance status is. You know, and that's for that world. Uh, if we say, "Hey, I've got an idea for a thing," for instance, right now we're working on something for the new Nightster. Perfect. You know, so that that was a concept that. I think actually one of the development guys came up with the concept, right? So then that gets a what we call a brief, which is, hey, it's, it's a business case. Okay. Is this uh, What's it going to look like? What's it going to do? What's it going to cost? And how many can we possibly sell? You know, And there's plenty of times where you go, this is a really cool product, but I cannot make enough of them to forge it to make sense. Because development cost is pretty fixed. Oh, so you sure. You need to overcome so, so and I, you know if this gets too boring
0: no not at all no no it's it's very interesting I, and I, I, I wanna, i'm i want i'm kind of cataloging what you're saying so that i can come back to a couple things and do a couple callbacks on it but it's very so, interesting so, so no, the
1: from the from the brief status um we review it and you go okay does this part have a good business case you know and if it does and we feel like the for instance the nightster has a good business case that that bike is pretty neat i am not a real fan of the sportster s OK, um, but the the nicer I really like, you go OK, I could see who's who the customer is on this one. And I'm still not clear on who the customer is for the S. Anyway, we said, OK, well, here's what our price point needs to be. And here's what the product is going to be. And then the development team will take that and do a mock up of something, whether that's, you know, it's hard parts or it could be renderings, things like that. The, the team would approve it okay yeah we're ready to do that or they could come back and say "Ooh, actually this is going to cost x to do it um and your msrp is now here is that Mm. acceptable sometimes it is sometimes it isn't you know right you know and right now everything is more expensive than it really should be sure so you know did your stainless pricing go up did something like that go up and you know that's really impactful you know and you're there's certain price tolerances you know you're not going to do a seven hundred dollar eight hundred dollar air filter Like it's just, it's incredible. So you go, okay, let's, that product, if it did hit that, it's not doable. You move on to the next one. So then it goes through our system and every, there, it's a gated system, which is typical in product development. Um, and it's, ours is relatively traditional. Um, there's, there's some other ways to do it. This particular one works the best for us and it, you know, each gate is, um, a milestone. Here's the product at this state. Um, here's a, you know, there might be a first article, there's a, there's a photo point where it, it's put on bikes and done for fitment. If it's emissions related, it has to go through an emissions process and we have an in-house lab. So we have multiple full-time guys that, um, all they do is test stuff for emissions. Wow. Um, we actually test other companies stuff as well for them. So, and then we've worked with CARB, we work with EPA and actually work with, uh, Europe as well. So, and then it gets to a point where you go, okay, we have X amount of them
0: on the shelf and we're ready to launch. And then, and then, it and then you decide the distribution, right? Hmm? And then, and then, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. because not everything yeah. you sell is in a drag catalog. Not everything you sell is in a Tucker catalog. Nope. There are nope. some things that you nope. guys, you guys want to control the, the market on that, or it, it I'm, I'm, and you I'm know, very it's, thankful. It's of More that.
1: often than not because it, it doesn't have the volume or the margin for distribution to be interested in it
0: well that's what i mean it's like you'd have to water it down to where it wasn't worthwhile for you and then you know i'm a big proponent of value right like i value my time like i think that time needs to be accounted for in anything that i do professionally you know not with my grandkids or not with my children but my time here has to be has to be allocated and has to be you know respected so i would think that when you start to diminish that, then you start to diminish the value of time, and, and once you diminish diminish the value of time, I think nothing has value at that point.
1: Yeah, if it's if it's not a fit, then we, we literally just won't do it. So there there we only have a handful of parts that are where their margin challenge. We go, okay, this doesn't fit in distribution. Right, and and it's we just go, okay, we do we do we not do this because we're a very very good manufacturer, but it, we don't want to be a warehouse.
0: I would agree with that. You know, that's a fantastic read, way to look at that's that.
1: That's not our strength. And there are distributors that that is their strength. That is their core function. and They do a very, very good job. You know, and as a manufacturer, um, having, and, you know, we're, we're only a certain portion of our our sales are through distribution. But it's very helpful in managing your manufacturing. You go, OK, I know I'm going to have X amount of orders across X amount of time. And I'm going to plan accordingly for manufacturing, whereas a dealer or a consumer needs it tomorrow.
0: And, you know, you brought up something. You said we're not a warehouse. And that's something that I haven't heard anybody articulate it in that way because we struggle at the retail level here uh, at CycleStop USA. We struggle with, okay, what do we have in stock? Like, you know, to me, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to have a bunch of handlebars in stock. And and hear me out on this because handlebars are not something that most people are going to come in and most people are going to leave you their bike that day to – to let you do that, like they do at the rallies. Yeah. So I try to condition my my crew here, like, hey, let's stock a lot of things that we can turn over often, different kinds of oils. Sure. You have customers like this kind of oil or that kind of oil, different kind of filters, those tires types of things. and oil and commodity mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, exactly, tires. You know, we pride ourselves yeah. on being able to be able to ride in, ride out, right? So, but that's the space that we occupy. Okay. So the space that you occupy is obviously the manufacturing, get it to the distributors, let them store it, let them, get it to us at, at the ground floor level. And I appreciate and respect that.
1: Yeah. And they do a very, very good job. And you know, they'll do programs that I can't do. They're, they'll do free shipping and things like that, that I'm just not really equipped to do. So in, it's a, it, often for a, on a dealer level, it's a better experience. You guys are ordering stuff anyway, he's ordering brake pads, he's ordering handlebars or he's ordering whatever, you know, so to get it all in one stop, I think is, is a very good experience. You know, there's certainly, hey, I need a replacement gasket for a carburetor you made in 98. You know, we're, we're going to be the go-to for something like that. But for something that, um, you know, uh, whether it's an exhaust or a big bore kit or something like that, I think distribution does a good job. There's plenty of dealers that say, hey, I, I don't want to do that way. I want to deal direct with the manufacturer. We're here to support them as well.
0: And you do. I was just going to comment on that, that, you know, you're one of the companies uh, that you can actually get a live human being that's informed mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. and here's the word. I love this word, empowered to help, empowered to solve, to problem yeah. solve. So, yeah, you know, cool. one of the things that I think is a very strong uh, character trait of people that are Midwestern minded, whether they're from there or not. And I think you've become Midwestern minded. You've alluded to that is your collaborative, yeah. your problem solvers. Yeah. They, yeah. And, we're and that works we're well.
1: lucky. We have a god. We have a whole freaking team between sales and marketing that really here, just a service customer, you know, whether it's a dealer or, or consumer, like we're here specifically to help you.
0: Yeah. I I can, I can comment on that firsthand. I mean, you know, like I said, it's not, it's no mistake that you have guys like yourself that uh, actually are available, you know, as the, as the, the chain of command, you have fantastic salespeople that are inside that we deal with, uh, on a on a first name basis, and then you have guys like Scott Hakens, a very good friend of mine that oh, yeah. that yeah. is one of those guys like that you. when you say, "Oh well, he's that guy's forgotten more than I've had a chance to learn." That's one of the Scott's one of those guys. Oh my know?
1: God! Yeah, absolutely. It, and, and yeah, they, and he's been with the company for years and years. He's he's a long term Harley enthusiast. My, my favorite Scott story. So this is a guy, he is a road rep. Um, he handles the Southern part of the country. Right. So that just to give listeners kind of a backstory of who this guy is, hardcore rider, hardcore, just knows his shit. Um, we were at Laughlin years ago and there's a kid with a crappy built chopper on the other side of the parking lot, trying to get it running. And Scott diagnosed what was wrong with it from the other side of the parking lot. And as soon as, um, we slowed down a little bit where we could get him on the lift. He went and got him, brought him to our, and he didn't. I don't even know if he had any of uh, ethnic parts on there, but it didn't matter. You know, Scott brought his bike, put it on a lift, fixed it, put a shirt on the kid, and sent him down the road. Yeah, like that, that's just the way uh, you know that that the entire team operates, and I, I freaking love that. That, that. We had one. That's in, a good. Uh, that's a good. In Daytona, we did the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's a good set of qualities to have to to because you probably witnessed scott create a customer for life
1: probably oh absolutely yeah yeah just i you know i I love that and that's motorcycle industry is really grassroots (laughs) you know they think the bicycle industry is actually more sorted out and more corporate than the motorcycle industry so i i love that you have that opportunity you know there's there i i was recruited not terribly long ago for automotive and it's the the culture is so not this no. You know, it is much more corporate. There was a fair chance I was going to be wearing a suit. <laughs> you know, that is, that's not my jam. I mean, that's other people's thing. That is not my jam. So I, I love that it is that this grassroots where, you know, you can help a guy out like that and send him to the road on a bike that now runs really well. And, you know, we, we're not there to make money out of that guy. We just wanted to make sure that guy could ride.
0: Well, not only that, but you that good givers are good getters. And doing that under the yeah, under the brand yeah. of SNS is going to allow that kid to remember when he's going to buy something. He probably learned a valuable, a couple valuable lessons. One, ask for help. You know, it's okay yeah. to ask for help. <laughs> Two, maybe yeah. yeah. You know, find somebody who's qualified and and get good advice and buy good product. And remember when someone does something good for you and pay it forward. So hopefully that kid went on to, I was, you know, it could be a guy like me. I I could have been that guy, you know,
1: but you know, that's a lovely byproduct.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Um, So let's talk a little bit about change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the performance times podcast, because you and I have have talked over the course of the last two years about um, kind of your vision for that. And I think it's a very progressive one, um, and I think it's a very, very strong marketing well, tool without so we, being uh, a marketing thank tool. Thank
1: you. The, the back story on that, um, and keep in mind, your podcast inspired it. So thank you very oh, much, wow. you and Jay. Thank you. So uh, we, uh, it, we, when COVID hit and things, you, you were losing touch with our customer. We couldn't do events. We couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. It really felt like we were losing touch with our customer. And man, I hate that. I, I am a marketing guy to the core so and it's really so it's all about that customer. It's all about you know that input. So we said, okay, how can we, you know, because everything can't be just Facebook and Instagram, right? No. So we said, okay, how can we communicate better? How can we maybe humanize this company a little bit? And podcasting really was the top of my list. So we started diving into, you know, who else is in the space? What does it sound like? You know, I'm already a podcast enthusiast um, by virtue of I had to commute in California. So I would consume podcasts because, well, what else are you doing on the 91 freeway? (laughs) So Cal. So anyway, we uh, we came across yours, we came across Jace's, and really liked the, the the human part of it. Like, this is a guy, I can relate to this guy, and he's giving me great information, and it's it's very listenable, you know, and I really, really liked that. And, you know, that's something you could do while you were working out, or driving, or riding, or, you know, because it, 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 it was audio only, I really, I loved that. You know, there's a lot of podcast guys that are doing a, a YouTube version as well. Sure. And I... I that does not. I don't know. That for me, that's a different thing. Completely. So I, I really love that podcasting is just audio, right? So he said, "Okay, well, let's let's take that." Well, I wrote a script, and I actually, I, I script every single one of our podcasts, which I don't. In hindsight, maybe is dumb, but I do. And I um I my marketing director um, John Montgomery is who you see on all of our videos, and he's really really good, and he hates scripts. He does everything off the cuff. You know, like he'll do a full install and t- a product thing and off the cuff. He cannot function with the script. So like the two of us are all like, well, okay, I hope this works. So we put it together and we did one and we did it as a test. Said, okay, if it sucks, we just won't publish it. you know, right. So we did a test and we finished it up. And uh, my video guy was, was doing our audio stuff on it. And we all looked at each other and went, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that it didn't suck. And here's the so thing. We, you know,
0: it's very human. It. It's very human, and it doesn't come off as of scripted. But I understand why, why that's necessary in that space. We because, never stick to the script, so that's why
1: we never ever stick to the script.
0: But it comes off really well. It comes off very well. Right. It's not. It's right. the one thing I was afraid of when I when I saw it. I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to open. You know, listen to this with with an open mind. And it wasn't. I didn't want to hear a commercial for S and S, and I didn't. Yeah, we. I, we what we I got was a commercial do for two guys that really are passionate about what they have the opportunity to do on a daily basis and just want to tell people about it. And that's,
1: I'm glad glad that comes through. You know, we, we've, we've gotten real positive reviews on it. You know, that it's more meaningful coming from somebody who does their own and and really gets it within the industry. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah. I think that, and I think there's, there's always room to do more stuff. I mean, one of the things that I took away from it was, you know, your segments, you know, your pre-recorded interviews, those things are, are gold because, um, You can, you can, if you take all the uhs, the ums, I mean, because we've, we've all had those interviews where (laughs) the interview kind of doesn't go the direction that you hope that it goes in. You know, everybody kind of pre-plans in your head and then you find out there's lots of uhs and ums and, and I don't knows and, or off color comments. And so it, it, it flows very well. It's very, very well produced.
1: The, uh, the sections, the segmented part of it Mm -hmm. was inspired by Jace. Yeah, because Jay's stuff is so freestyle and so out there. We're, you know, as a brand, we're all oh, we got to give it more structure. We can't do that, and without that structure, that's how it would have ended up. It would have been John and I talking about goofball crap, yeah. uh, for an hour and a half, you know. So we said, all right, we got to give it a little bit of structure because, as a brand, I think your your messaging is a little bit different than as a entertainment podcast, you know. Yeah. So and- the the sections, I I, I freaking love that, and it forces us to go, hey, here's what's new, here's what our events are, you know, here's uh, you know, uh, user emails, you know, and it I, it really gives us some structure because my God, it would be just freestyle, painful unlistenable I think without that
0: and not only that but it has that interactive piece you know like everybody remembers um, was it the bozo the clown show or something where or reading, wow. there was there was a there was a show that when you were a kid, they would say, "I see Christopher, I see David, I see Jason," and you always hoped it was you that they, you know what I mean? Like it's so when you when you when and I'm I, that's a weird callback, I know, but
1: that was a that was a weird one,
0: dude. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about when I say that if someone's well, on there, yeah, like totally yeah, we've got an email from what's someone.
1: You know The uh, the original user email um, was actually DMs on Facebook. Sure. So the first couple were just DMs on Facebook. So we said, okay, let's respond to them on the podcast and see how that does. And we get uh, between Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, we get like a thousand DMs a month. So there's no shortage of content. You know, and some of the stuff is is silly. Some of it is really like, you know, what? I'm going to answer that question, and I want I want a thousand people to hear that answer because they <laughs> may have that same question. Well, yeah. So it, like we we pick them based on that. And then, like, as the podcast started um, gaining followers, and keep in mind, word, I don't think we've even done 20 of these things yet, so we're still relatively new, the, uh, we got stuff specific to the podcast, you know, which is really, that's been really fun. That has been really genuinely fun. It, for us, you know, we're just, we're, we're moto dorks. We just love building motorcycles and love talking about motorcycles. And, you know, so it, 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 this is just a, you know, this conversation probably would have happened without a microphone, no matter what exactly it it really just kind of gave it some structure
0: well that's that's the brilliance of this like i always tell people like people talk you know i have lots of conversations about podcasts and I, i talk with lots of other podcasters and people you know they're like well you know jace is doing this and jace has this and i'm saddam i'm i'm completely happy for jace in in all those ways and and he and i collaborate on you know we 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 share information back and forth and i always tell people jace is the joe rogan of what of what we're doing because he seeks (laughs) purely to entertain and i want (laughs) to fall somewhere in between that and and like a corporate podcast from a standpoint of i want to educate while still being entertaining and I want to bring on, you know, I don't, I don't hold myself to, you know, I have to have this many episodes. So I've got to book ha- a book of guests that maybe isn't, uh, isn't really engaging, um, and try to try to spin a story is like, I want to make sure that the people that I have on are people that represent, um, something positive or something that is, is very critical in nature to what we're doing and also has an, an a meaningful opinion about, about what they're doing and that's important to me and you've always had a meaningful you're you're in the two years that we've been conversing a little over two years now i've found you to be very um uh you you are you are a very strong constructive listener and you are a processor of information so when you speak I always want to listen because I know that nothing is coming off the cuff. It's all coming from a thoughtful place. whether you and you've disagreed with me vehemently on a couple of things that, that really changed the way I thought about them because of your delivery method. And for that, I, I commend you for that because you're not somebody cool. who is dismissive and I appreciate that.
1: I have, I am well, uh, thank you. The I'm 20 couple odd years into this thing. So my first gig was at, my first industry gig um, was at Performance Machine. And I, what, so mid-90s probably? Wow. You know, then I, I went to Progressive Suspension, um, and then I helped revive Burley Brand, which that was still, to, to this date, one of my favorite career moves. It was a really neat experience. You know, so it's, you know, I, I've been doing this for a really, really long time. I've had the opportunity to meet some amazing people and work with some amazing people and do some amazing things. You know, and I, I owe it all to motorcycles, which is, that's pretty wild, right?
0: Yeah, how did you find you know, yourself a lot of people have... in that space? How did you find yourself in that space? Was it a natural trans, you know, Did was it a natural progression like BMX, <laughs> motocross, then into the street bikes, or was it?
1: Well, I was, um, I've, I've been riding since I could breathe probably. So as a three or four year old I got my first mini bike, but I wasn't allowed to have an engine until I was five. So I dog paddled it around the neighborhood. You know? <laughs> so I was I was addicted to two wheels for since day one. You know, and you and I have talked to BMX. So, oh yeah. You know, I've, I'm I'm we have to talk offline. I still got another BMX problem happening. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the uh, so I, I was my, my dad was a rider, and, you know. I came from motorcycle people. He had you know. There's pictures of me at, at two years old sitting on top of a Montesa. You know, so I I had a motorcycle problem to start with, right? you know, and I, I uh, had a mean midlife crisis, um, some point in the mid nineties and said, okay, I I wasn't, I didn't like what I was doing. I said, it's time to, to do something different. And back then, you know, you picked up the LA times when you're looking for a job and, uh, the performance machine opportunity was there and. You know, that was, a, at the time, it was a family-owned company, and it was really neat, doing something really cool in a space that really was starting to grow. You know, you really saw where Harleys were going at that point. Um, I had owned a Harley, and, but I hated it. I sold it immediately. I had a really tattered soft tail and hated it. It just was such a bad experience. And I was riding what the hell that I have. I think I had, a, I had a couple of sport bikes, and um, and I was really kind of eyeballing, like, adventure touring type things, which back then wasn't a lot, but still like KLRs and stuff like that. So anyway, got into, got into PM and fell madly in love with the space and the people. And you know, it's just, it was just this incredible opportunity. And they, you know, as a kid, I worked in a print shop in high school and was thinking, you know, maybe this is my jam. Maybe this is what I do. So maybe I'm a pressman. And the old guy that was, was training me said, you know, make sure you love it, because you're going to do whatever it is you're doing more than you do anything else in your life.
0: Sound guess, advice.
1: Oh, I don't love it. I don't love it that much, man. <laughs> I don't love it that much. Maybe this is not for me. So I said, okay, I'm not going to be a pressman. You know, and at the time, I was going to school for design. So anyway, the, uh, but that stuck with me, you know, is do something that you love because you're going to do it more than you do anything else in your life. It's more, than, more time than you spend with your family, more time than you're probably sleeping. It's, it, it, it's, you know, and especially when we're at this level, you know, 10-hour day is like an easy day. Sure. So uh, luckily that old dude gave me that advice when I was just a dumbass 17-year-old or whatever I was. And it really stuck with me. So, and I've always said, you know, I, whatever I do, I'm going to do something that I love and i've been i consider myself very very lucky to have been able to do that
0: yeah i think um the older i get especially now that i have grandchildren i look at That's uh, crazy, dude. no uh, i look at how thankful i'm not sometimes and i have to really check myself when i'm when i'm leaving cycle stop usa at night you know uh, this this happened on saturday you know saturday was we we're going to an easter party with some friends and i'm walking through locking up and i'm walking past You know, a group of motorcycles that are all very nice motorcycles. They're all mine, and I'm and I'm in my motorcycle shop. And there's never a day that goes by here without some sort of problem, right? It's whether it be a money problem or a customer problem or which is often the same, or a, a bill that didn't get paid or whatever. I have to, I have to, you know, I have to adhere to my three rules, and it's feed the wolf at the door. You know, uh, take care of your employees. Live to work another day, and I think I need to add a fourth one to to be thankful, because I don't think enough people get to do what you and I do, which is go yeah, home, go yeah. home accomplished, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. No, I'm I'm grateful every day, and it's, you know, I'm I'm, you know, mid fifties at this point, and I still am excited to come to work and do what we do. That's you know, great. I mean, you. Your motorcycle people are are attracted to motorcycle people, right, to <laughs> yeah. like-minded people. Absolutely. And to be able to work with that, you know, like a Monday morning is this massive download of, of what you built and what you rode and what you did over the weekend. And it's just – it's energizing. Yeah, I think so, yeah, it's lost something. I hope I never lose sight of that. I, I, I am to this day grateful for the opportunities that uh, that I've had
0: and and that's a that's a lesson I would like everybody to take away from this you know I work in a collective here, so um and and that's something that's kind of a new new thing in in the motorcycle space i think I think most people you know they they go up and they go to the job and they have a boss and they have this and i'm like I'm not anyone's boss I don't like that word um i'm yeah. it's, you know to me it's it's yeah. it's irreverent and and it's irrelevant, but we get to do something that you know i think people look at us sometimes like we're, uh, you know, they're envy of us because they don't love their job. And uh, I, I, I love the people I could quit right now. I could say, you know what, I'm not ever going to do. I'm never going to pick up another wrench. I couldn't. But if I was to say that I couldn't quit this business. I couldn't quit the people in this business because I haven't met everybody yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah. And I've met so yeah. many amazing people yourself, Scott Haken's, um, you know, Jeff Holt, uh, Steve Watkins from, yeah. from Arlen Ness, just to name a few people that stand out as people that, totally. that yeah, I loved hearing your Holt interview. That was really cool. Thanks man. He's, you know, he's I, somebody I think the Holt's first article he did when he
1: got into the motorcycle space was for progressive suspension. So I think I was one of his first assignments. Way back in the day.
0: Yeah, and he's a guy that has so he, gotten kicked and gotten right back up.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, he's done neat stuff. And I, I man, I'm looking at his schedule this summer. He's nuts.
0: <laughs> well, he he he's, is nuts, but he's, he's trying to he's get nuts. it in. He's trying to get it in. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: dude, <laughs> like, uh, Paul, wow, man, how are you gonna breathe? So, which is, I I mean, I love his enthusiasm and his passion and his engagement and everything, it's really, really cool. So, and he's he's one of those guys, who, like, it's really human, he's he, right? Yep, you know, it, like, yeah, I love that. There's no, there's no fake Jeff Holt, no, there, <laughs> there is not a just, fake Jeff Holt. You get him
0: right on the front, uh, and I, I. I dig that. Yeah. Um, speaking of projects and stuff, uh, for anybody that follows you on Instagram, I believe it's Dave's Garage with a Z, right? You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, clever play on words. I like it. Um, you're. You're. <laughs> here's what they would. Here's what they would see. Number one, you're a VW nut. Are you VW nut I, uh, or VW nerd? Because there's a difference. I <laughs> uh,
1: yes, I guess. Yeah. I, so I grew up stone poor. Stone poor. So my first car was a. a Jacked up Volkswagen for $200. And my second car was jacked up Volkswagen for a couple hundred dollars. So, like, I, and you kind of, I don't know, you you bond with these vehicles, I guess. I don't sure. know. Sure. And, and I, I think that's one of the things that drew me to Harleys is that um, that car or bike needs me more than, <laughs> like, a Nissan or Honda Accord would. Wow. I've so, never, uh,
0: that is probably the most true I, statement I've ever heard about a car.
1: It's Like that car and bike. Needs yeah, oh yeah, and, and, and I, I I feel like there's some connection because of that, you know. So, so yeah, I, and there's the uh, the Venn diagram that is custom Volkswagens and custom Harleys, a lot of crossover. Sure, so air cool. It's funny. I meet guys constantly there that are that are involved in both, so which is very fun, you know. So yeah, my my favorite the, VW
0: uh, my favorite VW story ever was I was in uh in in the Midwest Detroit. I was in a Votech school during. Uh, half a day for uh, during high school, I was fortunate enough to have a really strong automotive program in my in my school district that I went to, and there was these kids from another school district that were that were kind of they're not bust over, but they were they had uh, some sort of a I don't know what, what are they a voucher where they could come over from quite a ways away, and they had this little Baja Volkswagen that they both commuted yeah. in together, <laughs> and they drove it every day, and one day they pulled in and it yep. sounded crazy. And they were in the class opposite mine. And I look over and they're pulling the engine out. And what these guys had done, it pooled their money and they had a drag race motor and a street motor and they were getting ready for the high school nationals. <laughs> so they drove to school with the race motor in it, to put miles on it, took it out, put it in the backseat of this Baja, we went that day to <laughs> test and tune. They drove the regular oh, was... motor there. Within 45 minutes, they had the motor on the ground, the new race motor in there, oh, yes. raced all night, sure. took the race motor out, yeah. and put the put the other engine back in. I was absolutely blown away, and your analogy of the Harley and the VW both needing you is... I mean, I've never thought of it that way, but it's going to forever be ingrained in th- th- that being probably yeah, one of Honda the true don't, statements don't ever. Hardly need you.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hardly need you. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, I, I so I I had a Volkswagen problem as a kid, and then moved on to other mostly motorcycles after that. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm probably fifty, sixty bikes into my career. So, um, I had built a BMW cafe sidecar. Okay. That in my head was really neat, (laughs) in in real life was horrible. So it was an old, it was like a '76 um, toaster tank BMW, and it you know it it mostly peed on my vans. You know I could not get the stupid carbs to stop dribbling. (laughs) A sidecar is a horrible experience. It's not a motorcycle. It's not a car. You know throttling it makes it go one direction. Breaking it makes it go another direction. It is it is just the it's I was I hated it like. It it never clicked. So I, I drove my daughter to school in it. It's all I ever did, and it took up a huge amount of my garage. So I went. You know what? I, I can't take this stupid motorcycle anymore. So I sold it, and it. I had a guy hit me up and gave me a fortune for it. He's like, I've always wanted a cafe. I've always wanted a sidecar. I love this bike. I'm thinking, Good, <laughs> excellent. Let me. Help I'd you love to it. sell it to you. So I got a fortune for it, right? So they, my then ten year old and I were talking, and he wanted to do another project. So I thought, okay, let's let's look at. Uh, cars and I, I, had after I had a Volkswagen problems kid, I had a mini truck problem. So I thought I'd recreate a piece of my childhood and build a mini truck. So my ten year old at the time um, hated that idea. <laughs> he just hated it. <laughs> he wouldn't even get in the ones. We, I dragged him with me, and we were we were him and I were always buying and flipping and stuff like that. Even sure. when he was a little kid, and he uh, he wouldn't even get in it. I come all okay. Well, what's your jam? What do you, he goes? You got to buy a Volkswagen bus. That's there's good money in those things, and you can flip them later. They're worth the money. And I don't ever keep anything. I always build and sell. I like the build process more than I like the ownership. I
0: process. do too.
1: And I come all okay. And he he finds one, and it was Craigslist back then. So this is this is uh, pushing nine years ago. And he finds one, and it's just just a old, old bay window, seventy three bay window. And I we offer the guy a ridiculous amount of money. Actually, he does it. He he actually calls the guy and offers him after we looked at it. Offers low balls him. Guy says no, and we, I go about my life, right. They, he calls the kid back says, okay, my wife said, I get it, it's out of here, we'll take it. So $1,000, I get like a metal box, no engine, no transit, no interior. So, and we start building it. And I actually I sold it on Bring a Trailer a couple of months ago for a fortune. So, but in the process, the kid really engaged in Volkswagens as well. So, when we, And we moved it to Wisconsin. So his, for his high school thing, he said, I want to build a car for high school. So he's 14 at the time. So we find a little dune buggy in somebody's shed and he spent his whole high school career building it. He sandblasted the pan with a Harbor Freight sandblaster in my front yard. <laughs> like he did all the hard work, like ground up build of the car and he learned so much. I mean it was incredible. So it, it, he uh, he is quite the mechanic at this point, right? So which awesome. is really neat. And there was that opportunity to do stuff like that in school that you know, California high schools never had. So it was this. It was really fun to see your your kid become this motorhead and become really good. Like he can weld better than me. He can do a lot of things better than me. And he's he's 19 at this point, right? So it was really cool. So then, like everything else, you know, that I do, you kind of get obsessed. And suddenly, I think we're 20 couple Volkswagens in, really buying and selling. Oh yeah. And one day he drags home a drag bug, like a 12 second race car. No interior, <laughs> one seat, right. you know, two-stepped with a line lock. Like, you're all, okay? In fact, he blew up the trans in it uh, this past summer. So we, we just dropped his trans off to have it rebuilt. So, like, we, you know, so you get caught up in these things, and they're really fun. And, you know, working with your kids is amazing, and you do the same thing. Yeah. Like, to have the opportunity to to work with your kid and to create with your kid, and then, you know, the terrifying part is strap your kid in this air-cooled bomb and go, okay, kid, you know, let's, let's make sure you come out the other end of this thing. You know, it's, it's exciting and terrifying and amazing. And, you know, so, so him and I have gotten just obsessed with that. Um, I have a 20-couple-year-old daughter. Her and I restore vintage hondas. She, she has this thing for vintage hondas. So I have a shed full of vintage hondas because she went away to college. Sure. So she just got back. She graduated. So we're just starting. We're, we're restoring a CT90 right now. So I, mean, I love that kind of opportunity, and it, you know, it's all, it all wraps around motorcycles and cars and, you know, power sports stuff, which is, again, you know, it's a, it's this, I consider myself very, very lucky to be part of that. It's... So, yeah, back to the Instagram thing. Um, you're, you'd probably see my dumpster diner on there as well. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a uh, – one of my guys um, was cleaning out his garage. He's like, I'm never going to get to this project, and it was a clean 06 um, um, Street Bob, but no motor. And he it was covered in junk, and it looked like it was in a dumpster. Right, so he, I, he's all, "Well, I'm thinking about selling it." I'm all, ah, ah, and I threw, I lowballed him, and I just assumed he would tell me to pound sand. And he goes, "Cool, can you pick it up this weekend?" I'm all, Ugh.
0: "Shit, <laughs> now I have now I have <laughs> so a that's job." Two years ago, <laughs> now now, <laughs> right, now I've given myself a job. <laughs>
1: so, uh, okay, uh, you know, so and at the time I had a I, w- I had a bunch of Sportsters, so uh, okay, so I I stuck it in a one of our buildings and I never even got to it. So I just started building that one. So that one's kind of fun. So, and then uh, my the kids dune buggy is back in my garage and none of my kids live with me and where they're all gone. So the dune buggy is back in the garage for a two, uh, dual carb conversion. And then I, a couple of years ago I picked up a ratty 61 that I wanted to bag. I want to learn how to do that, how to design my own suspension. Right. So it was really fun. So I actually, the car is, bagged. Um, I learned how to do metal fabrication, do sheet metal stuff, because so, the bottom six inches were rusted away. So I learned how to weld and um, kind of manage sheet metal without warping it or oil canning it, they call it. So that, that was a, And I love learning new stuff. So that, that's been a really, really fun experience as well. And, and now I'm building a bug-out trailer from the ground up, which is consuming a lot of my garage, pissing off my wife.
0: So bug-out trailer so yeah, is a...
1: Um, it's, it's like rooftop tent overland crap. Okay. I got it. It has to haul, it has to haul Groms. Okay. So uh, that was, that's its premise is that it's the Grom hauling bug out trailer, but it's been really fun. I, I've never built a trailer, right? So I have not done any of that. I built my own frame.
0: That's good. So, that's,
1: so that I built, built my own slide out kitchen. You know, it's all the, all the electricals, it's got solar. It's, it's all done by me, So which has been really, really fun. I love, I love the opportunity to learn new things. So that's been really, really cool.
0: It's amazing that you have the amount of time to do that stuff. Aggregate
1: of of wacky crap, you know, so in the the dumpster diner and Grom's. I got a Grom problem right now. So we actually, we just launched a new exhaust for Grom's, you know, so because of that, we we bought them and started playing with them. And you're all, oh, these are too fun. These are just too fun.
0: Yeah, there's things that I won't allow myself to do. It's because they are too fun. And that would be one of them. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they're, they're so good. So, and, you know, and I've, I've always had a thing for diminutive motorcycles.
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: first street bike was an MB five. So it was a one year only Honda two stroke. And it was in, in the eighties, this was at the time it was super cool. Um, it must not have been that cool, I guess, cause it was only made for only brought to the U S for one year so, but I was, I just fully imprinted on this stupid thing. So I really like goofball, small motorcycles so in two strokes. So right. the, uh, the grom thing, when that started happening, I'm all, oh, that it's just a good time. So my, my youngest had one when he first started college to bop around town and then, you know, winter happened and he was bored and got rid of it. So I'm all, hey, we need more groms. So the, uh, the grom exhaust that we just did came out really good. It sounds really fun, but because of that, like we're got groms everywhere. So that's that kind of fun. So the bug out trailer had to haul Groms as
0: well. So. Well, so you got to do R and D when you have something new. It's it's good that you have like you keep. I don't I don't know how you find time to do some of the projects that you have because I know how busy <laughs> you stay. But uh, it's, I don't, it's I don't have kids anymore. Well, that's so true. That, that helps. Yeah, that does free up quite a bit of space in your day to day. It you know? does. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. It's, it's been so quite- the
1: the Grom thing has been really fun and the. Uh, so the Dyna thing, uh, I got to get back to that bike. So like all of my stuff's at powder coat right now, and I'm waiting for a couple of parts, and then uh, it'll be back up on its wheels, and then I just got to plug the motor into it. So the motor's already built and done.
0: That is, you know, I'm as you're as you're listing off the things you've got to do and where you're at. I'm like, oh, I, I I I've got like a, a mental checklist that just keeps like. Digitally downloading what you're saying, well, you need to do that too. You've got to get this done. It you've got you got people waiting on you for this. Yeah. You got people waiting on you for that. Um, what what is a unicorn for you? As far as uh, you know, it's it doesn't sound like a muscle car was anything that, that ever really piqued your interest. But you've obviously you know you grew up on two wheels, and and uh, you've got the bug problem. In a perfect in a perfect world. Uh, when you get ready to, if this is ever going to happen, just imagine play along for a second that you're going to retire and you're going to keep busy and in your garage, you don't want any unfinished projects, uh, but you want to have X, Y, and Z. What, what are X, Y, and Z?
1: Oh, well, they're, they're nothing like what you'd expect. So, um, many moons ago, I pulled an RZ 500 out of Australia. As and brought it here as motorcycle parts, air quote, to get it into the U.S. Gotcha. So it is a four-cylinder two-stroke Yamaha. It never came to the U.S. It, it went to Canada and Europe and Asia, and uh, and obviously Australia. So it, uh, I brought it in, did a kind of a sympathetic restoration, and rode it, and it was amazing. Some days I would just started to listen to it. It four-cylinder two-stroke just makes this amazing sound. So I I was I loved that bike. And someone came in and offered me an insane amount of money for it. This was a few years back, and I—I I swear I said no, but it, apparently it came out yes. <laughs> so that bike, I—I—I I, I can't afford to recreate the bike. So, it guess in a perfect world, that—that that bike would live in my garage, and a '58 Plymouth Fury. Really? So I fully, yeah, I fully imprinted on the. I knew you'd say that. I fully imprinted on the uh, movie Christine.
0: Okay, okay,
1: so, so that that car will forever be in the back of my head and the same one i, I literally cannot afford them they're they're worth a freaking fortune yeah so you'd have to you know buy junk and spend the rest of your life trying to build it back up which you know i don't know if i, I want to get into that but yeah those two would be my unicorns so wow. that's
0: a fun question yeah you went off way, way way different than what i that was a. so i'm trying to think i, I know what the fury looks like um but that Big that's Pins. Big yeah, yeah, that's a that's that's an era that I think uh, Chrysler and, and Plymouth and Dodge don't get the love. I mean, you've got the Tri Five yeah, totally. Chevys oh, to yeah, sit in totally. there, yeah. right? Yeah. And even the '58 Chevy doesn't get anywhere near the love as the Tri Fives do. Nope. And then you've got yep. you've got two two really good years, and plus a third that that takes everybody away. The, the Cadillacs, the '55, '6, and '7 Cadillacs, kind of. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of in a space of their own, and they get taken away by the, what is it, the 59 with the giant fins on it or the 60 with the giant yep. fins or whatever that, that Elvis yep. made yeah, so popular. Yeah,
1: 59 had the big fins in telly.
0: Yeah, so it's Yeah, just... so
1: that would, those would be my wacky unicorns. So, yeah, that's, yeah that, there's something about that two-strokes. And I grew up on two-strokes, so my first bike was a, my first bike was a GT80. You know, and it was—well, like I said, we were super poor, so it was built through the Azusa swap meet in SoCal. And, you know, every morning at 4.30, my dad and I would go head out to the swap meet. And uh, that's, the the bike had, uh, something bad had happened to it. So we bought it in pieces right. and then slowly built it up. And one day, my dad worked nights at the time. One day I came out of, and I, God, it would have been like third or fourth grade or something like that. I'm walking out of school and my dad is sitting there on the bike. Wow. <laughs> and it like you're all holy hell it was like the best day ever as a little kid right yeah and rode me home on the back of it and taught me how to ride it you know it was the first time with a clutch so it was it was super cool and i just i would do laps in the backyard learned how to wheelie on that bike and learned how to crash the shit out of motorcycles on that bike
0: yeah i've I've, done my fair (laughs) share What do you, you you'd mentioned a couple of times i mean i grew up i grew up I what i would consider lower middle class um with a few little uh a, a few little a few little little bright spots and a few a few little really dark ones what's the biggest thing you you take with you what do you carry with you every day in your arsenal of of you know coping mechanisms or lesson life lessons learned for for having grown up in that space
1: I don't know, I think I'm super appreciative of everything. You know, we we, we were stone poor. You know, my mom didn't work, my my dad uh, made kind of just the bare minimum and he was a design electrician. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've got I got two brothers and a sister, so we've got four kids. You know, so it was, you know, the, the house that I remember the most growing up in SoCal we had no air conditioning. So, you know, a hundred degree day it was pretty standard for a summer in California. Yeah. You know, and we did not have air. Like that wasn't That was part of the deal, you know? So, and I don't remember it being a problem. It just was what it was. Yeah, sure. You know, know. I I got, I got lucky in that um, myself and my brothers got into BMX and a local bike shop sponsored us. That was kind of the highlight. And we were, you know, you were always super grateful for that. So we raced BMX for years and that was, that was really fun. But the, the thing I think you take away is just appreciation. You know, you're, you know, you take nothing for granted. You know, I can't eat peanut butter anymore because I ate it so much as a kid because that's all we could afford. Right. Like I, I literally can't eat peanut butter anymore. I ate my life's supply of peanut butter by the time I was twelve.
0: Yeah, like there's a certain amount of of anything that you that one can have and you know, when you when you reminisce <laughs> yeah, I capped th- out, I did it all. Yeah, we- I, I can never have any more. <laughs> so, so yeah,
1: I you know, so you have this amazing appreciation, you know, and I I I hope my kids have that kind of appreciation. They obviously grew up in a completely different environment. I was just gonna ask you, you how do you
0: I- imprint that in them yeah, so then so they carry it?
1: I I'm a I'm I'm a mean dad, so I, I don't coddle my kids. I've made them work for what they have. Um, all of them have had to build their first motorcycle or build their first car. You know, my, I have an oldest who's, he's 28 now. And he uh, literally had to build his first, he had to sell his motorcycle so he could afford to buy his first truck so he we could build it before he could even drive. It. And, you know, he was engaged and he loved that thing and he knew how it worked and he could wire it and learn to weld and learn to, and we did a, a pre-runner, a Ford Ranger, which in SoCal is pretty standard. You know. Sure. So, but he, he learned skills out of it. He learned appreciation out of it. And, you know, I didn't buy him anything, you know, so, and I, I could have maybe, but I did not. So I, and, uh, you know, my daughter's been building her own bikes since she could ride, you know, and my son has, my youngest son has this incredible entrepreneurial slant. I think because we said, if you well if you want money, you got to sell or buy, you know, so he was buying and flipping bicycles and RC cars before he he was, I don't know, probably eleven, twelve, thirteen years old.
0: It has to be a good you know, feeling when to we look at a here, kid like that. When we, go you know what I mean? I would say it has to be a good feeling to look at a child like that and just know, okay, he's he's going to be okay because he does this. Your your oldest is going to be okay because we did that. The middle oh, kid, totally, the daughter, yeah. is well, going to you know, be okay you know, because we you never m- know,
1: right? But you like to think that you added some value and some belief systems and some motivation, you know, and all three kids have this incredible work ethic, incredible work ethic, which, my God, am I proud of that? That's so, awesome. you know, and the the youngest the youngest of any family is always smarter, I think, because they've watched the older two fuck up yeah. and said, I could I could have got away with that. Yeah. You guys are <laughs> really? dumb. right? So the, I think the youngest is, is really much more savvy. And my youngest, because at the time, that's what I was doing, he was always kind of there when we were, it was the beginning of eBay and really getting into um, buying and flipping and Craigslisting and then Marketplace and everything. And he was always part of that. And the in fact, when, the first year I, I did SNS, and I, I was still living in California. So I was bouncing back and forth. Wife calls me one day, she says, hey, the kid is making me go to Starbucks to go sell something. Can't, the, can't whoever it is just come to the house? And my kid and I had rule, like nobody came to the house in California. In California, it got weird. Yeah, the Midwest, nobody cares. Right. But in California, you didn't bring people to your house. He was just that's how it worked. Right. Sure. So we had a Starbucks and I made the kid buy me a latte every time he sold something. That tax. was his charge for me driving his ass there. Yeah. Tax. Right. So um, I'm all no, people can't go to the house. I'm all make him just drive in there, make him buy you a drink. Like, that's part of the deal. <laughs> She's all uh, OK.
0: Yeah. I in. you know, so
1: like he had a good system. And we when we got to Wisconsin, he was racing RC cars in California. So when we got here, he starts flipping RC cars. And he had quite the collection, I mean, thousands of dollars worth. He actually still has a room in my basement devoted to RC cars. So he started flipping them. And then he bought sleds. And then he bought boats. And then he bought cars. And, you know, he would make thousands of dollars. And before he could drive, just buying and flipping stuff. And, it, you know, it built this entrepreneurial spirit, which I love. And I, I didn't have that opportunity as a kid you know, because we were just scraping by, and you didn't have, you know, you didn't have the tools either. So. No,
0: no, so well, the tools weren't you know, there, I so. love watching that
1: happen. And he just started his own company. He's freaking 19 years old. So yeah, and he's still, yeah, he's still going to college as well. So you know, I love that part. So he, he, and I think they're, I think all three of them are really still appreciative. I think that translated
0: that's awesome i think, you know, I think <laughs> at some point in time you're going to be able to retire from S and you can go work for your son's company <laughs> oh would that be awesome no he's a detailer i don't want to do that oh <laughs> that's no hard work yeah that's hard work hey one of uh, no, one I of my wealthiest friends was do a auto detailer. Do yeah that, that is a hard that is a very hard hard job uh, a lot very you labor know, intensive
1: he was a slob as a kid freaking slob like i would not have let him clean my car <laughs> and he started doing it for a local guy when he first went to college and really excelled at it, and he's really freaking good at it. But like the kid was a slob as a kid, so anyway.
0: that is funny. That is funny. You know, yeah, you always is, want your crazy. kids so to kind I, of yeah. kind of pick up where you left off, right? And and it's amazing um, oh, what yeah. they yeah, pick yeah. up. I mean, it's,
1: you know, I think the youngest in particular is kind of recreating parts of my childhood better. Like he's doing it better than I did, which is awesome. I love that.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Well,
1: so there you go. That's what's, you know. And they're they're all motorheads. And my uh, my oldest just uh, got, he's an Air Force kid, and he just got transferred to Okinawa. And he was there, what, three days, and he bought a GTR. <laughs> so, like, now, well, well, of course you did.
0: Right side drive?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Well, oh, man, look at man. that. So yeah, Right awesome. side
1: drive GTR. It, in fact, he's having it transferred from the mainland right now.
0: That is oh, awesome. yeah, it's
1: there. You know, it's there's something really cool about having full-on motorhead kids.
0: Yes, it's absolutely, and it's very, it's very cool when you get to see your kids be successful. Well, listen, we're at one hour right now, and I want to thank you, Dave, for your time today, and I want to make sure that all the listeners know that they should be if they're not already following SNS cycle on instagram and facebook and all that stuff but the performance times Please podcast it, yeah. is available on spotify it's available on apple podcast basically anywhere that you get your yep. good content and dave i really appreciate the time today i look forward to seeing you in person here again very very soon and uh is there oh, anything yeah. you want to any little tidbit or nugget you want to leave us with
1: mm. Um, no, I think you covered it really, really well, man. That's, that's one of the reasons I I love doing stuff with you. You really have this much more dialed than we do. (laughs) So if you get a chance, um, you know, listen to our goofball podcast. Um, both John and I are just mad enthusiast builders. So we always have like a cajillion projects going on. He's got like a 12 sports projects in play so if you're, you know if you're uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, you know we appreciate you listening and you know I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your podcast and I, I love what you're doing with it. you know I was really excited to, have, to hear you have Holt on there and I love that you have like this industry slant to what you're doing you know it's, it's for me, it's like the insider secrets of what's going on in our industry from like you know the consumer perspective is I think that's really cool so well, I, I appreciate I, that I really that was
0: think. what I was trying to convey.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I'm I'm stoked where you're going on it. So, anyway, thank you very much. I I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, let's talk soon. All right,
0: buddy. Have a great day.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.